diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen. This is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast, co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today. Welcome to our final episode in this first series of Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila Asdell-Danielson, and of course, with me today is my co-host, Rob Cockrell. Ready for this last episode, Rob? No. I mean, yes. I'm ready for the episode, but I don't think I'm ready for it to be the last one. Uh, I'm with you on that. I'm looking forward to the chat today, but it is a bit bittersweet knowing this is the last one, at least for a while. Who knows, though? Maybe we'll just have to come back for a second series. I like that idea. More hydrogen, more purple. (laughs) You know it. But for now, let's focus on today's episode. We've got a great conversation coming up with the Senior Director of Product Management for Nell's Fueling Division, Michael Steffen. We get the opportunity to grill him about enabling the hydrogen ecosystem business case. Sounds like a topic that's right up your alley, Rob. Absolutely. I am betting you have a thing or two to say about this from the H2View perspective. Uh, We do indeed. We have throughout the whole year. Uh, The business case is probably one of the biggest topics today in the industry and beyond, of course. So many of our webinars, our interviews and our news stories are focused on the business case and what that proposition is, how we maximize it, how we realize it and what time frame we're looking at in each instance. There's so much momentum now in hydrogen, you simply can't look any further than the business case that's required behind that momentum or, as I said, to realize it. Just last week, we talked about the business case in hydrogen mobility in our latest H2View webinar. This week, our webinar will be talking about the perception challenge. And of course, we're going to get into the business fundamentals there too. And there'll also be an exciting announcement from H2View very soon on our first in-person event in Munich early next year. And there'll be more than a bit of the business and investment case for that agenda too. And the great thing is the business case is continually evolving, Lila. So there's always plenty to talk about in this ecosystem. Absolutely. And it's definitely evolving, isn't it? Definitely. I feel like it's even evolved in the time since we had the pleasure of starting these podcasts. And obviously, we all believe it only gets more and more fundamental too. (laughs) We sure do. All right. Are we ready to get Michael on the line? Yes, let's do it. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Rob and I are really looking forward to today's topic, but before we dive into that, perhaps you could tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, my background. My name is Michael Stefan. I'm originally from Austria, and I started my career in hydrogen, in the hydrogen industry around 2010. Before that, I was working several years as an intern in the gas industry, also in the CNG, which means compressed natural gas business. And then I moved quickly in onto hydrogen fueling infrastructure. Um, one of my projects, or my first project, was basically the lead on the commercialization of hydrogen refilling stations. I started that in 2011, and it resulted in uh, the first opening or the opening of a hydrogen refilling station. Um, um, manufacturing plant uh, in 2014 where we were able to produce up to 100 stations in one shift. Um, before I joined Nell, I was working for a major player in Vienna. And uh, since 2017, I'm working for Nell Hydrogen. I started here as a service director uh, and then I got more um, responsibility in the area of installation commissioning and project execution. 
And after that, in 2020, I moved to a strategic role, which is product management for Nell Hydrogen Fueling, which is actually a lot of fun uh, because here I'm responsible for uh, understanding what the market wants and then translating it into uh, the engineering language so that our product development and technology team can develop products which are suiting the market requirements. Um, my background is beside electrical engineering also, that was more a coincidence, uh, product management, but before I worked never in product management, so this is now something where in theory I'm, I'm well equipped. Uh, in practice, I know a lot about the industry and the product, but the, the real experience on product management is something which is now coming on the run with the colleagues, which I'm also working with in Nell Hydrogen Fueling. So we have quite experienced people from the wind industry. And yeah. So Michael, why hydrogen back in 2010? What made it the industry for you and, and what continues to make it the industry for you? Actually, that was quite a coincidence that I landed in hydrogen. I wanted to join the wind business initially, but then because of my internship, an opportunity opened. And the starting with uh, compressed natural gas, where we also filled vehicles, it was the logical move to move in the direction of hydrogen. And it was always very fascinating to think about that you fill a gas within three minutes into a vehicle and then you drive purely electrical. And at this point in time, there was no, no signs of Tesla or any other serious electric vehicle manufacturer. So the first electric vehicle I drove was actually a hydrogen fuel cell car. And yeah, that was what brought me directly into this business. And I uh, stick to it until today uh, because it's, yeah, I have hydrogen in my blood, I would say. Great. What a, a wind of change in your career. Fantastic. So we're here today to talk specifically about making the hydrogen ecosystem business case. What is the business case? Actually, the business case is quite interesting. Um, at the moment, it's like this, that there is, let's say when you look for a standard gasoline or diesel car, um, they they pull out the black stuff of the, of the soil, then they refine it, uh, then they bring it to the filling station and fill it into these lower gasoline cars. And a lot of the oil price, as you can see it on the market, it's, it's very volatile. Yeah, it's uh, changing based on politics. It's changing based on if they find a new oil field somewhere. And so there is a lot of variable expenses which are not foreseeable for the oil uh, for the oil, big oil companies. So hydrogen is actually something which is the, you could say, the dream of oil companies because you have 90% of the variable expenses for the next 20 to 30 years fixed. So so you, you know them, you know uh, how they will develop, and that is something which the oil companies currently do not have. When you think about um, how you produce hydrogen with uh, electricity, you take uh, an electrolyzer and with this electrolyzer you uh, put in some energy and, and water on one side and on the other side you get out hydrogen. And so that means the water is something which is luckily available. Uh, basically, it's not completely for free, but the cost is relatively low. And the energy costs is what really makes the, the variable costs on an electrolyzer. And with the, with the actual prices for wind and solar energy, which really came down significantly in the last 10 years, 
um, you can you already know they are going down further and further because wind, wind turbines and also solar panels are becoming cheaper and cheaper and uh, sun and wind are pre predictable in the market so that means here it's quite clear that the trend is going downwards and that means the uh, the energy prices and, this, uh, and uh, the subsequent hydrogen prices are foreseeable. And that's a, a pretty good business case because when you take now hydrogen as a fuel, then it's also quite clear that the fuel prices will, as soon as a certain level is reached, uh, will then just increase like with diesel and gasoline, while the energy prices and the, the prices to produce hydrogen and to dispense hydrogen will become lower and lower. So it's a good business case for any company which is planning to to sell hydrogen as a fuel later. So the oil company, therefore, also most of the big oil companies are looking into this business and are part of it already today. Uh, that's uh, very interesting there, Michael. Um, I mean, we're seeing at the time of recording this, listener, that we have some quite high uh, conventional natural gas prices, and that's clearly making hydrogen and other fuels more competitive every day, almost. Um, I mean, if that's sustained, that'd be fantastic. And in that respect, we're kind of coming uh, overcoming that chicken and egg scenario. But Michael, what's needed to break the, the traditional chicken and egg scenario that's existed in infrastructure? Yeah, uh, the infrastructure is is something where there are some regions or comp uh, uh, countries in the world which solve that in a quite smart way. Uh, California and Korea are very good examples, and uh, both are doing it in a different way. California, for instance, uh, they have a zero emission vehicle mandate, and that dictates that the car manufacturers need to bring a certain amount of zero emission vehicles into the market, else they will pay a fine. And yeah, with that's also over the years increasing in the share. And that forces the OEMs to bring vehicles into the market. In Europe, they have more or less this, um, how is it called, the emission target. And this is reduced every year. You know about this uh, different norms in Europe where whatever, 120, 150, and now it goes soon down to 90 grams. Uh, per kilometer on CO2 emissions, which is also quite a, a good development. However, it doesn't force the vehicle operators to bring zero emission vehicles into the market from day one. So in Europe, there is it's quite popular to have plug-in hybrids, for instance, while in in United States, it's this model is quite uh, favorable for, for instance, uh, electric cars and hydrogen cars like the Toyota Mirai or the Hyundai Nexo, which are selling quite well in California. And so you have these credits or these um, subsidies on the vehicles. And in addition, there is some uh, funding scheme for hydrogen uh, refilling stations on the other side. In Europe, there is now a lot of new fundings coming out with this clean deal or green deal for Europe. And now all the countries in Europe they are significantly increasing their investments in hydrogen refilling stations, uh, which is actually a very, very good signal for us, also for the European market. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would not have bet my money on Europe because US and also Asia was quite, um, quite ahead. But now with this green deal, there seem to be a lot of activities going on, uh, which will soon materialize. So... Yeah, that's basically 
how the different countries and regions support hydrogen. And it's always two things. You need the vehicles on one side and you need to have some subsidies or at least some yeah, some support for the vehicles. And on the other side is the hydrogen stations, which means the electrolyzers where there is a lot of funding and as well as the transportation and the refilling infrastructure. So, Michael, you've you've mentioned about um, you know some of the the private companies, the oil companies, and you've talked about the OEMs, and you've also talked about uh, subsidies and, and initiatives at the governmental level. What kind of balance is needed between government and private initiatives to move the hydrogen business case forward? Actually, this is not really um, a relevant uh, question to ask because the private market will only. Uh, deliver what the society is asking for. That's typical capitalism. So that means if society uh, in some ways is not asking for zero emission vehicles, uh, the market will not deliver it. So it starts with the society making a decision that they want uh, zero emission vehicles. However, uh, if the society decides it, then uh, the society or the companies will also define a way how to um, serve this zero emission vehicles and they can do it like in California with the mandate or they can also uh, do it like in Europe with the uh, exhaust emissions. Um, so that means it's in any way um, something which needs to have a, a decision of the society which is then um, supported by certain activities in of, of the governments to to kick off this market yeah nobody will buy a hydrogen car at the moment because there is just too few stations and there is uh, uh they are too expensive but nobody will uh, buy a station when there is no vehicle so that means it needs to have somehow a, a funding or some 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 support from the society which means from the governments and uh that could work in in using the stick like in California where basically the companies pay fine when they do not bring uh, vehicles zero emission vehicles into the market or it could also work with uh, with the carrot like in Europe uh, where you get some some subsidy for yeah for a certain amount of uh, vehicles you bring into the market which are green yeah I hope that's somehow clear um, how this works together is always both and and both need to have a similar push because in the past in Europe it doesn't, it didn't really work very well with bringing vehicles to the market uh, which changes now slightly and when you look at the very uh, successful uh, countries which brought a lot of hydrogen stations and vehicles into the market you can clearly see it's Asia with Japan and Korea and it's also the United States, which, which have quite a lot of vehicles, a little bit less stations than in Asia, but quite a lot of vehicles deployed. So would you say it is more of a mandate that's required, Michael? It is actually the governments which need to um, put the, the target, because look at uh, the society. When, when you have, for instance, public parks or something like this, uh, and you see uh, the society is now responsible for keeping the, the park tidy, uh, that won't work out. Yeah, It's the same with our atmosphere and with the CO2 emissions. If we keep it just to the people and to the pure market to decide, that's not going to work. So that means the, the society is, is going for 
certain parties which have a certain agenda. And uh, at the moment, we can also see it clearly in Europe that the Greens have quite some support. And they put then uh, some regulations in which brings the, yeah, which, which controls the market in one or another direction. And in the past, it was more or less uh, the oil companies which were supported. And now it's also big companies, but now it's more in the direction of uh, green companies, which are supported quite a lot by some, um, yeah, uh, regulations, codes, and standards, you can see. Okay, sure. So if, we, if we're on the subject of mandates and uh, adoption and public buy-in, uh, hydrogen's been on something of a roller coaster of ups and downs, which has led some people to be skeptical to the current upswing. What makes this current uptrend different, and how do we convince people that it really is? Yeah, uh, the answer here is aff- affordable and working vehicles. Uh, we can see this now in form of the Toyota Mirai or the Hyundai Nexo, which is the two most famous passenger cars in hydrogen. And uh, yeah, that was not existing in back when we think about back into 2000. There was no fuel cell vehicles. There was a few vehicle manufacturers which um, they announced they will bring vehicles, but it was always far in the future and then it never happened. And there is also another market which is... Um, at the moment, pulling a lot of attention, especially of us hydrogen guys, which is the heavy-duty vehicle market, which means heavy transport and so on. Because here, there are some certain advantages of, of hydrogen. In, in parallel to the vehicles, which are now suddenly available, there is also the significant drop in energy prices. If you think about uh, 10 years ago, there was the levelized cost of energy for renewables, for instance, wind and solar, was around 100, 110 uh, euro per megawatt hour. Uh, today, when you bring in a new um, renewable energy power plant, which means a wind park or a solar park, then it could easily have a, a levelized cost of energy of 30 euro per megawatt hour, which brings it down to 3 cents per kilowatt hour which is extremely uh, favorable, favoring the hydrogen industry. And yeah, in this in combination with high oil, high oil prices, but even with lower oil prices, 30 euro per megawatt hour for hydrogen, that works also with very low oil prices. And in this area, we can compete with uh, easily with steam reforming. And um, when the electrolyzer production now is increased, when there is more electrolyzer produced around the world, then of course the, the the capex of electrolyzers will also go down, and this, in combination with the with the opex, which is mainly the energy price, then hydrogen has really a chance to get get to get very very cheap on the yeah basically on the dispenser. You mentioned heavy duty fueling, uh, and this is a topic that, as you said, is uh, uh, is quite uh, big in the uh, hydrogen area right now. Can you give us a little bit more insight on the current development of the Nell heavy-duty filling station? Uh, Yes, uh, we are currently working on a new product platform. Uh, It's our heavy-duty platform, and this is our main focus uh, for the next three to four years. We are using a a typical stage-gate model for technology and product development. And um, together with the field experience of our current fueling station network uh, and also the growing engineering team, which we have. We are hiring quite a lot. Um, 
so with the increased workforce, this platform will really be a game changer in terms of uh, reliability and total cost of ownership. Um, all of that is the baseline to ensure that the business case for the customer works, So, which means for the station operator and the vehicle uh, owner. So Hydrogen Europe has quite tough cost targets in terms of uh, TCO, so total cost of ownership. And we talked before about levelized cost of energy. Um, I also want to introduce the levelized costs of hydrogen. And here we could see the levelized cost of hydrogen on the dispenser nozzle is something which Hydrogen Europe defined. And we, we are quite sure that with the current product development, we can significantly undercut these targets by 2025. So it's also interesting that in Europe, the market potential for heavy duty hydrogen stations is several billion euros for 2025. And to ensure the success of this uh, industry and that we also um, keep uh, the status of a major market player. Um, we, we are also participating in a lot of standardization and um, yeah, it's basically standardization groups like in ISO, for instance. And examples are that we're working on the fueling nozzle and we are working on the fueling protocol to fill cars fast and our vehicles fast and safe in the heavy duty industry and so safety is also something which we are really focused on uh, just to get a feeling on the energy flow we are dealing with the current high performance electric chargers can charge the state-of-the-art electric cars like for instance the mercedes eqs which is by the way quite a nice car with around 250 kilowatt peak and our current car dispensers transfers energy in form of hydrogen with a maximum of 7,000 kilowatt. For instance, to the Toyota Mirai or the Hyundai Nexo. Uh, our future heavy-duty platform will be able to fill trucks with up to 35,000 kilowatts, now compared to 250 kilowatt. Uh, this will work with all major truck OEMs. Uh, which are basically part of the 700 by heavy duty filling and it's standardized. Yeah? It's not like in electric vehicles where you have different plugs and when you, when you go from one country to another country, then it's even worse. So we are working on standardization and for the cars, it worked that we have worldwide the same uh, filling standards. Uh, you can charge it, uh, you can fill a car in Japan as you can fill it in Europe. It's the same interface and the same will happen with the trucks. And our project team is at the moment finalizing the setup for this 35,000 kilowatt uh, filling here in Denmark. Um, in addition, we're also planning a smaller setup in the United States uh, together with NREL. And we will have multiple tests on the system uh, to, together with third parties and yeah that's part of our validation process and you can imagine that safety is crucial for such a verification test so after we did the commissioning in our herning facility and also in the us then we will uh, approach it and target uh, this target in smaller steps and the current plan is that we have the first full-scale um, test with all required serial components and that we have regulators and valves in the beginning of two, uh, 2022. 
Um, the team is working also very close with some compl- component suppliers to make this a reality because you can um, you can imagine that when you go suddenly to uh, five times bigger flow than you do usually with 700 bar vehicle filling, then there is not that many component suppliers which can uh, supply you with applicable, with uh, proper and um, reliable and cheap components. Yeah? So that's really a challenge here to get these components lined up, but our team is working hard on that. And therefore, the timeline of this development is also a few years. It's not just done in half a year. And soon we are also able to present, that's the last point, our heavy-duty dispenser concept. And the first version is already in the assembly in our workshop. But although the final dispenser might look different, um, we will also present this um, uh, dispenser soon, how it looks like. And uh, especially we are focused on custom experience, which, which means the user interface and also the the yeah, how the usability of this dispenser looks like and how the feedback to the customers. So I'm looking forward to also presenting this in the near future on the NEL website. Yeah, I think we're all looking forward to that. It's going to be a really exciting launch. Now, Michael, you have mentioned safety a few times in that last little bit. I, with regards to safety, there are still some people who talk about the hydrogen industry as an unsafe uh, industry. What would you say to that? I don't think this is accurate. Um, it's quite clear when you look at the hydrogen dispenser nowadays, um, it's extremely safe when you compare it with gasoline and diesel, for instance. Uh, there we have a lot of measures in place that the customer cannot do anything wrong. Uh, there is a lot of measures in place that in terms, if something goes wrong, uh, the station or the dispenser will shut down in a safe way. And um, yeah, compared to a diesel or gasoline dispenser, if you would build a diesel or gasoline dispenser with the safety standards we are applying to a hydrogen uh, dispenser, they would look completely different, completely. So I would say hydrogen is even safer than diesel or gasoline on on the filling part. And also when you think about safety in relation to a standard natural gas car, Hydrogen is, is not deviating from that. It's not different. Just because it's the pressure is, is higher and the, um, the gas is a different one, it's, it's still the same approach. Hydrogen has, in addition, also the advantage that when you have a leak, it's increasing, it's basically rising quite fast, which means it dis- disappears. Uh, and that's not the case with with gasoline, for instance. When you have a leak in a gasoline tank, then the gasoline is, is spilling on the on the ground. And when you then have somewhere, a, let's say, hot exhaust or a spark, then you you run into troubles. Yeah? While hydrogen is just disappearing quite fast. And of course, you could could also have a fire here, uh, but in relation to gasoline, the the danger disappears quite fast. That's great. Thanks, Michael. I mean, that is a really big topic, isn't it? We see that all the time at HDView, the whole discussion around safety and the, the misconceptions there. So thanks for uh, dispelling some of those myths for us. If I can ask you, I mean, Lila's brought us back to purple a little bit and some discussion around Nell. So without giving away any trade secrets, of course, uh, what would you say makes Nell's approach stand out from the competition, apart from that lovely shade of purple? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, our big advantage is that we are a pure play company. 
uh, we produce the hydrogen production unit, units, which is electrolyzer, and we produce fueling station, and we can offer both as a package. And uh, this is a pure play a company, which means also a one-stop shop, uh, brings a lot of advantages because we have no in, uh, conflicts of interest between different business segments within the company because our main focus is hydrogen, which means hydrogen either the market either comes or we are dead. Yeah, And that's quite clear. We have focus on hydrogen, uh, which is quite helpful. And when you are thinking about other companies, which are really big entities, they have usually a lot of different business segments and hydrogen is just one of, of them, a, a smaller one. And so there is also quite hard for them to justify big investments in hydrogen because at the moment, uh, no one is really earning money on hydrogen. It's simply too small. The scale needs to come. And uh, we as Nell Hydrogen, with a pure play approach, we have, uh, we have an advantage, advantage when it comes to investments. And uh, we are doing large-scale investments, also on this heavy-duty development project, for instance. We invested quite a lot, or we are investing quite a lot, getting a good product. And other companies, uh, big entities, where hydrogen is just... Um, for the shareholders, let's say, just to have a few nice pictures for the shareholders. Um, we don't have that. We have full focus on it, and that's our advantage. Definitely all the Ps there, Lila. Pure play, professional, purple, proven. <laughs> Absolutely. We like to keep it on brand here. Um, Michael, we tend to ask this question most, if not every episode, but in your opinion, why is hydrogen such a key part of the energy transition? Yes, um, when you think about CO2 emissions, and all, um, all people which have children think maybe more about this question than people which do not have, but we want to leave the planet in a state where we can hand it over to the next generation. And the CO2 emissions are actually quite scary when you think about that we are increasing the emissions every year and that we are increasing the total CO2 concentration. So that means we want to, tr to transfer from burning fossil fuel, uh, oils and, and uh, natural gas to something which is not, uh, which is renewable, which is not emitting CO2, um, at least uh, not, um, let's say, in a, in a, in a circuit. Yeah. And the, the answer to this is not battery, because here we are talking about large scale. We are really talking about replacing all of the fossil energy carriers by something else. And here hydrogen comes into the game. So uh, hydrogen can solve the issue of providing seasonal energy storage, and it can also solve the issue of filling large vehicles uh, with fuel. For instance, there would be trucks, there would be uh, aircrafts, there would be ships, there would be heavy construction equipment. And this has a, yeah, this is, something where battery will not in the foreseeable future deliver any good solution for this large-scale uh, energy transition. So hydrogen is definitely the answer here. And just to give you an example for hydrogen uh, in the fueling sector, uh, we discussed this already, um, that the energy grid is something which um, is of course limited in some countries. Norway has a very Norway or Denmark they have a very good um, energy grid and uh, electrical grid. And for instance, when you look in the United States, 
uh, that the grid is not developed that well, which means when you want to have a lot of uh, vehicle charges, then you will run into issues, especially around the big cities where there's a lot of vehicles which you need to transfer energy to. And here we're talking about gigawatt hours of energy, which need to be transferred suddenly in addition to the standard uh, service the, the grid um, service providers are delivering every day. And when you take now a one megawatt hour battery, let's say in a truck, uh, and you fill this battery from zero to 100% in 10 minutes, that would require something like a six megawatt charger. Yeah, and with this one megawatt in the in the battery, you can then drive 800 kilometers just to give you some distances. So the six megawatt charger is only best best case. In reality, it will be more in the direction of an eight to 10 megawatt charger because you cannot charge a battery from start to the end with the same power. Uh, that's also not working, which means they start usually uh, slowed and they ramp up to the maximum charging uh, point and then they ramp down again. So <clears throat> If you consider now that you need to have a one truck dispenser, an eight megawatt connection on a fueling station, and you want to have maybe in the United States, it would be 10 of them. Yeah, Then you have 80 megawatt on a fueling station. That's by far uh, more than the grid can handle. And when you think about the fueling stations at the moment, they might have a 200 kilowatt connection in, on the fueling stations at the moment. And then suddenly they need to, to go 40 times this power connection. The grid, pro, uh, the grid operators might see a challenge in that. But if you do now the same and you say, I want to have a, a truck dispenser, which can uh, charge truck so that the truck can drive 800 kilometers. Uh, and I want to do this in 10 minutes. Then you need for a hydrogen filling station less than one megawatt power connection, which means this is just uh, an eighth of what you need when you do it directly with electric charging. And here is the big advantage of hydrogen. You produce it when the energy is cheap, where the energy is cheap, and then you fill it into the vehicles uh, in, relatively independently from the power connection. That's great. Thanks, Michael. And you mentioned uh, having children. I mean, I think for anyone that does have children, they'll probably sympathize you don't want to wait for an hour to charge your car up. You just want to get that fueling done and go and get a good range out of that. So, um, yeah, completely uh, with you on that. Um, by extension, what are your thoughts on the role of hydrogen going forward? Uh, are we saying that we think it's the closest thing to a silver bullet? Yeah, um, actually, the, it's from my perspective, it's going to accelerate. Yeah, and the, prim the primary driver will be the cheap renewable electricity and also the fact that the cheap renewable electricity is not always cheap and uh, because it's not always there so there needs to be some energy storage possibility um, yeah if you compare this with the yeah with the hydrogen if you compare the hydrogen with the fossil uh, price then we we need to reach the price parity and that also means that we need to bring down the costs of the electrolyzers. We need to bring down the costs of the hydrogen refilling stations. And yeah, that's basically also our target now going forward with hydrogen. So I'm sure it will play a major role in the future energy uh, transition. And um, also compared when you compare it with natural gas or also the oil, which I mentioned initially, the, the trends 
that the prices are going down, they are predictable because the renewable energy will get cheaper. It, it has to get cheaper. The funding system behind the renewable energies is also supporting this quite a lot. And the same with hydrogen infrastructure like production and fueling. So I'm, I'm sure it will have a major role in the future energy transition and it will also support the targets to lower the CO2 emissions significantly. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Now, we are unfortunately just about out of time, but briefly, what are the key takeaways you'd like listeners to learn from this podcast? Yeah, um, some people might see a war between hydrogen and battery, but I don't think it's a war between the two technologies because both technologies will coexist. Batteries are uh, addressing some market segments of the light-duty vehicle market, especially passenger cars, where charging is not, uh, or time to charge is not so important. And then we have also, yeah, the the large the larger vehicles which can be addressed by hydrogen. So all the fuss on batteries versus hydrogen is, from my perspective, a little strange because uh, you also need batteries, by the way, for fuel cell vehicles. They are also in there, just a little smaller. So when batteries can take the smaller cars and passenger cars and maybe also light trucks, uh, that's good because then we can take the rest. And the rest is also a much bigger business in terms of energy consumption. Hence, of course, the uh, heavy-duty fueling that we've been uh, talking about and that uh, new dispenser that we're looking forward to launching. Exactly, yeah. All right. Well, Michael, it has been great chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Rob, last chance, at least for a while. Care to wrap this up? Absolutely. I'd love to. Uh, Fittingly for this series finale, I think we've just had Michael capture many of our sentiments across the last 10 or so podcasts, all in one snapshot. We heard how exactly the business case is likely to be realized with oil and gas becoming more and more expensive and hydrogen costs at the pump only coming down, for example. It'll be interesting to see if we do actually see the price at the pump fall in line with the collapse in oil markets and an acceleration in parity with hydrogen at the pump as well. We heard that interesting viewpoint too, that it's not about a sense of balance that will make the breakthrough in hydrogen. It's about a mandate, about how it's still capitalism that gets it done, basically. That's not necessarily the message we always hear today in this very modern world, but there's truth in it. And it's another twist on that message that we just need to get this done. And we've even had a nod to the very illustrious history of Nell that I've had the honor of learning more about too. And on that note, I want to thank Nell and our listeners for having me across the series. It's been a blast and I've loved it. And obviously, I'd like to thank you most of all, Lila, my crazy Canuck sidekick, my purple partner in crime, my total rock star of a co-host. It's been great chatting all things hydrogen and channeling my inner purple with you over these weeks. And wow, I think I feel a bit emotional right now. (laughs) Me too. And thank you for such a wonderful wrap up. I feel like you've really covered it all there. And it truly has been a pleasure working with you on these podcasts, Rob, even if you have tried to steal my purple thunder now and then. What, me? Yeah, you. Yeah, you. (laughs) So with that, on behalf of Rob and myself, as well as the Nell Hydrogen team, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in to Purple is the New Green. We really hope you've enjoyed this podcast series and delving into hydrogen from our purple perspective. If you're just joining us now, 
be sure to check out the previous episodes. You can find those on our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in to your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to keep an eye out for more hydrogen content coming your way.